your weekly Selk Grassroots podcast, brought to you by the Down to Play app. I was going to, I was going to, hang on a minute. Do you say you want a level? He's going to bring his spirit level, level. isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> no bad. Right then, folks, welcome to the fourth episode of Goldie Lockdown uh, with uh, Ant-Mart and Nathan. And today we've got a, a proper treat for you, as promised. We've got the referee that we've been talking about in this clip for the past three episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Adam. Yeah, and the crowd went wild. <laughs> <laughs> Not many times you get an applause for a referee. Yeah, to be well, fair. <laughs> uh, to, to, there was one game where I got applauded on booed onto the pitch and booed off of it but that's another story well that's the consistency that people are often asking for yeah so you can't... <laughs> absolutely. absolutely consistent penners um so yeah i mean have you watched the previous three episodes to kind of see what we've been saying uh and and to be honest how did it feel having three well martin and two strangers that because we never met before kind of dissecting a three minute section of of one of your games uh to the degree that we have we we made almost two hours worth of, of content just dissecting these three minutes how did that feel uh well it pretty much obviously i've seen it a few times before and obviously me and martin have done it at various events and other meetings but it uh, it basically felt like you'd put a microphone into the crowd and i could hear what they were all thinking is that something uh, during the game? Because obviously at this level, you can see in the background there. There's there's a fair few people. It's it's a crowd of a few hundred, isn't it? Um, uh, it was my it was my. I mean, this this was my first. So I'd just been promoted. So this was my first ever game at level three. Um, and at the time, obviously Weymouth was always a well supported club. Um, there was about eight hundred and fifty at that game. First ever game at level three, and this shit happens. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, mate. At least it went smooth for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. You, you had an incident like this pop up in your first game at level three in front of almost a thousand people. Majority of them will have been um, wanting a goal score, presumably because that's the home team. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that moment when they were all like, ah, oh, fucking hell, Rav, what's going on? How did, how did that feel? Um. Well, to, to be honest with you, I, I was lucky enough to come through the system quite quickly. So, you know, I sort of I've been promoted from level seven to six. The next season, six to four, double jump, and then the next season, four to three. So, next thing you know, this is my first game at level three. Like I said, over, over eight hundred people. Obviously, I've been buzzing for the last few seasons, sort of flying through the system, um, and and all of a sudden, obviously, this is a a t- it's a it's a totally different game now. The expectancy is different. Um, what they expect from you as a referee is different. What the crowd expects is different. You know, you can't, there's no hiding at this level of football. If you make a mistake or several mistakes, or it's not clear what you're doing, there's not just two men and his dog who are going to tell you about it. There's eight <laughs> plus his dog, plus his Cornish pasty. You're all going to tell you what you're doing wrong. So, so give us an idea of, of, uh, how you were feeling when you were sat in the dressing room and when you were conducting your pre-match uh, on the day? 
so yeah, I, I was buzzing. I was on cloud nine, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm quite a confident person. I always have been, you know, I did a lot of work to get myself to that level of football. You know, it was only a couple of years before that when I sort of started out as a level seven, when I was about 16 and a half stone. Um, and someone from the county, but my local county had come out to watch me and they basically said, look, I'll give you the honest critique. You've got some potential, but you'll never go anywhere being the weight you are. Yeah. And that was a big eye opener for me, really. And then obviously, you know, all of a sudden I managed to get down to about 11 and a half stone and progress up to this level and obviously further. I've, I've actually seen your, your weight loss transformation. Is it okay if I uh, share that, that a couple of photos of you like before and after? Because it's, it's a massive change. And as someone, yeah. as, as someone as well that has gone from a very similar starting point to losing a lot of weight, um, you, I can tell that it's it's a complete lifestyle change, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't just a you know let's let's lose a bit of weight to get up the levels. Like you said, it was it was a total lifestyle change. You know, I'd gone from pretty much doing um, you know from smoking twenty five fags a day, eating takeaways five times a week. And then going out and picking up me 20 quid refereeing on a Saturday to all of a sudden, you know, do you want to take this seriously and progress or do you just want to pick up your 20 quid? So it was, you know, it was a big eye opener to me. And I, luckily I took it on board and literally my life, my life changed really. Yeah, that's brilliant, mate. Pro- Absolutely brilliant. The, the problem now is, is because obviously I've been retired for a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm starting to go back the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the things, Penn, as you mentioned there about uh, how much weight you lost, it was Richard Mellon, one of our trustees, that said to you about being overweight, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. And, so and it's it, it, actually, so, it, Richard, so Richard Mellon and, and Keith Buller were watching me at that game. It was at, um, I was a level seven, it was at Winscombe, uh, just a local game. I didn't know they were coming, they just turned up, and I didn't even. I didn't know they were there until the end of the game. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And we always pride ourselves, you know, surrounding ourselves with people like Mellon, who was who's a PGMO assessor, um, you know, ex-top flight match official, really good lad. But we always say, you've just got to be really honest with people. And I remember I remember him phoning me, actually, and saying, God, I've just seen this cracker referee. Some brilliant natural qualities, which I've talked about in the previous blog, what a naturally gifted referee you were. And I'm, I always stuck in my head and he said, oh, if he loses weight, he can go all, all the way. So I just thought that was interesting to see in these clips how much, you know, weight you lost to a really proper fitness regime. And, you know, you should always give yourself a pat on the back for that, mate. Yeah, cheers, pal. Yeah, so um, so listen, what, 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 what you know now as a 2A referee, uh, you, you talk about when you come off later, you... you unfortunate in injury, but from where you are now here on this clip to where you are now as a referee, what advice would you give different for the start position on this free kick now? So obviously the, the whole purpose of me starting there in the beginning was, yeah, it's obviously it's, it's not, it's not where I wanted to be. Obviously the ball is going to drop into the penalty area. Um, um, the reason I know that is because I've already spoken to the player who's to my right shoulder, who's not by the ball. And I've already said to him on the quiet, is he going to pass this to you? Or is he going to, is he going to hoof this in the box? So always as a referee, which I sort of learned going through the system, 
if you get on with the players and you're friendly and you ask them, normally they'll tell you what they're going to do. Likewise, if it's, you know, 25 yards outside and is he going to have a shot? There's nothing wrong as a referee to say to the guy as he's placing the ball, are you going to have a shot here? Because he'll always tell you, because if he's going to shoot, he's proud that he's going to shoot. If he's going to lay it off, he might say no, or he might say, well, I'm not sure. So I already knew that this was going to go into the box. Um, obviously, the reason I'm stood where I'm stood is purely to sell to the observer in the stand that at this moment, I've got eyes on the two guys who are making up the wall so that at this moment, as the observer is looking across, he can see that from this position, if there was a handball, then I would be in a good enough position to judge it because obviously my neutral assistant is with the second last defender. Um, so obviously he's going to be down near the six yard line somewhere. My non-active or should we say semi-active assistant is on the halfway line and you know, as per my pre-match, you know, sometimes as the semi-active assistant, you might be the best place to make a decision. However, you, in certain circumstances like this, you cannot sell giving me a big flag from the halfway line. So my instruction at this sort of scenario is, if there is a handball and you are the only person that can see it, literally hold your finger on the buzzer my arm will feel like it's going to fall off. There will be an appeal for a handball and you don't need to flag, but that will tell me that there's been an offence. Therefore, I can blow for it and everyone will think that I've seen it, even though potentially I haven't. So this starting position is purely to say, I can see if there's a handball from here. And then obviously, as he's then moving towards and kicking the ball, which I'm sure you'll move on to, that's when I start moving forward because I know it's going to be delivered into the box. Are you two got anything to put on that, Nath? No, I, th I think that the only thing that, that you obviously you might have seen me smile when he said it is I think it's great that obviously that's something that we could never have done on the analysis because we weren't there. Only, only Adam knows that, that he's had that conversation with number four, that we that he that he that he knows and he's got that little bit of knowledge, he's he's got that thing. And I think it's a great um great little tidbit that he's provided there, to be quite honest with you, Martin. I think that's something that definitely a lot of referees who are listening to this will, will be able to take from it about the importance of communication, building a rapport and how it can help you in a situation like this. Yes, good tip. It is, you know, the players can help you. I know they can be the bane of our lives as a match official, but don't under, ever underestimate the value they can give you in your game plan and how you can help. And if you're doing it quietly to them and saying, look, also the, the other opponents aren't, get, aren't getting any clues, you, you'd be amazed how many how many tips you can get from stuff like that. It is a top tip by Adam, I must admit. So do you want to play it into the delivery and then stop it when that elbow happens or what was it an elbow or whatever playing into penners you you obviously pay attention now or the then about what foot the ball gets delivered to it and all that we've mentioned that bit yeah in the yeah of, of course obviously you can tell by the way he lines up it's going to be a left foot left footed kick so obviously i know it's going into the box ultimately that ball is going to obviously maybe start a little bit wide but ultimately it's going to be curling in towards the danger zone so we just stopped it there where um where obviously the uh... right. Just before you say anything, if one person says there was an elbow, I will drop. An, I will drop an elbow on all three of you. <laughs> I well, think there was an elbow. The video. Right. The video doesn't lie, Adam. Is what I'll say. Let me let me expand. So right. right. So when when you're refereeing a game of football. 
as I'm sure plenty of people know out there, there is players who can assist you. There is players who can cause you issues and cause you problems. And early on in any game, ultimately, you want to try and identify who those people are. Now, the first time that you can do that as a referee is when you're doing your pre-match warm-up, it's not just doing your warm-up to do a warm-up and show everybody that you're warming up and you're fit and you're healthy. A massive trick that referees miss is when you do your warm-up, you need to be paying attention to both sets of players. Because what will happen is the players who are generally the lunatics, the head cases, they will also be the lunatics and the head cases in the warm-up. They'll be shouting around, they'll be loud, they'll have their shorts pulled up a bit higher, they'll have the sleeves rolled up. Oh, you know, no. you always spot them in the warm-up. If you haven't, ref if you went to referee team several times, you get to know who they are. But obviously, in this circumstance, this is my first time refereeing either of these teams. So when I did the warm-up with my neutral assistants, I was already trying to look, right, who could potentially cause me an issue not prejudging, but who seems like they're really up for it today? You know, who's standing out from the rest? Now, when this game then started, within the first 10 minutes, the two players that are in question here had already had a fair bit of 50-50 between each other. Not an awful amount going on at all, but there had already been a little bit going on between these two. So when this ball comes in, yes, I could be closer and I could have moved in quicker. However, the only thing I'm looking at when this ball is delivered is those two players. I am not looking at anything else whatsoever because those two are already on my radar. Now, I don't care how it looks on the video whatsoever. The yellow player receives no contact at all and he literally throws himself to the floor. We've given you great credit for your position um, and we've given you great credit for the fact that as I mentioned there six claret and blue and two yellow they are not in your line of sight at all you've got a fantastic line of sight straight in there there's nothing obscure in your view at all um, and, and I noted that as well when I when we went through it and I've said that in the first couple of pieces um, and, and to be honest, like I said, you you on the, on the previous part, sorry, you provided a wonderful bit of insight in terms of the conversation you'd had, which then led to you having knowledge of what was going to happen next. Um, and that's why no matter how it looks on here now, having spoken to you and you giving us that insight, then I'm not going to say I'm prepared. I said, basically, I'm saying what you are saying is fact. Yeah. The only, the only thing I would say here, even though... Yes, I've got I've got a clear vision. Um, the what I should have done from here is when once I've obviously back to the starting position. Once I've obviously sold the fact that I could see if there was a handball, I'm in a credible position. As soon as the ball then gets kicked, yes, my patrol path is correct and is good. But I walked in. If that would have been that only had to be a medium jog, and instead of where I'm stood now, I probably would have been. In, I'd have had the same angle of vision, but I probably would have been a, a yard outside of the penalty area, which would have been even better. Fair shots. 
I think it's about finding that again. We're talking about Martin's Goldilocks here. It's about finding that right zone, isn't it? Because you don't want to be in the box; you'd be too close to assess foul play. So I think that I think that it's it's definitely just, about just out, the right zone. Just outside the box would be yeah. would be ideal. And even though, like I said, from this, I know one hundred percent there is no foul play. So even when the player goes down, yeah. the attention already then turns to the the middle of the box because I already know there is no foul play. Mm. I'm not interested. You're not conning me into a defensive free kick. Yeah. You basically do one. I'm not interested. But it would have been easy if I was a bit closer than what I am there, just outside the box, because I'm very verbal... So from here, where I'm stood now, no matter what I say, they they wouldn't be able to hear me. If I'm just outside the box, the way I referee, I wouldn't be cutting the grass because it's just they're only appealing for a defensive free kick. Mm. But from just outside the edge of the edge of the box, I would be saying no, 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 yeah. or I'd be saying nothing, 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 and everybody would be able to hear me if I was just outside the box. Yeah. yeah. You'd mentioned that you'd had a bit of time to kind of get a temperature, a feel for the game, um, to, to kind of gauge where you, where your hotspots were going to be, who your troublemakers are. Do you recall at what point in the game this was? It's, it's. Um, I don't know. I mean, how do I describe it? It's, it's like I always, I always call it like a, a first impression sense, if you like. You know, when you meet somebody for the first time, within it doesn't take too long to kind of work out what sort of person that person is and get a feel for that person. And I'm not saying you're going to know everything immediately, but you get a feel for someone yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Like, you know, M Martin is obviously such a head case and a lunatic and a friendly guy. Oh, and he's obviously is a great coach as well. But from when you speak to Martin, if you've never spoke to him before, it's pretty easy to gauge that pretty quickly. So, and with a game of football, it's the same, you know, you gauge what you gauge from the warm up which a lot of people don't even use the warm-up um, to do that, which is, for me, was always a massive, massive aid because that could help you. Likewise, you do your, when you're doing your warm-up, who are the guys who have got the incorrect sock tape and all that sort of stuff. You, you can mm. try and manage that before the game starts. And before you yeah. say anything about sock tape, in this game, there was a special dispensation to have what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the rule for the weekend, one of the banners. <laughs> You know, because it was my first ever game at this level, not that that's been mentioned, there was <laughs> not to worry about for that game. So, yeah, you just you just get a feel for it. You know, as the game starts, you sort of, you do what you do. You know, you don't want to be over busy, but you want to let them know that you're there, that you're in control, that you're on top of things. So, obviously, you're using verbal communication and non-verbal communication, and it doesn't take too long. Generally, you know, within... Within sort of five stroke ten minutes, you can generally get a feel. You don't know how the whole game is going to pan out, but within ten minutes, you kind of know yourself how how the game has started. Is it high tempo? And likewise, sometimes a game a game could be high tempo, but high tempo doesn't mean high temperature. You know, and people yeah. don't realise sometimes. You know, a high tempo it's a fast game. It's end to end, but it could be friendly as anything. You could get a slower game, which is high temperature, because there's a bit of ill feeling. The last time they played, someone's leg got broken. So, you know, sometimes people need to just need to realise that tempo and temperature are totally, totally different things. But when you've got the both together, then 
yeah, you've got you've got a game on your hands. Cool. Well, let's let's keep the clip rolling because we've established uh, in the opinion of the referee this wasn't a foul. That's totally cool. Uh, so when we watched the clip first time, start to finish without without a pause, uh, there was assumption that what was given was uh, a yellow card to that player um, mm-hmm. for that for that foul, and that's why the goal was disallowed. So as we roll through the clip, we're going to see uh, what actually transpires. Um, so let's let's play it through now up until a bit where you go over to uh, well, let's say where you're standing over the the injured player. The header comes in, ball goes to uh, the teammate, and the ball ends up in the back of the net. As you can see, all of the players in the in the yellow are now appealing for everything to to yourself to Kev. The lad on the floor that's injured uh, is just rolling around, making the most of it. And the, the lads in the in the claret and blue uh, are celebrating a goal. So we'll pause it just there. Um, from the ball going from the, I think it was the number 10, over to the goal scorer, um, did you see uh, clearly the, the handball in that moment? Or was it a case of you, you were totally like, what's gone on here? Nope. So as, as far as I'm concerned, the first part of the clip is spot on. I'm not interested. No foul. You can do one. Next thing you know, the ball goes across. It's in the back of the net. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, my first instinct, my gut feeling is goal. And why wouldn't it be? The ball hits the back of the net, the crowd cheer. However, immediately, the goalkeeper and the yellow players throw their arms up in the air, mm-hmm. start going mad. One, I, I clock one of the defenders who's sort of doing this claiming handball. Obviously, at this moment in time, I haven't seen a hand. I haven't seen handball. Obviously, it's it's on the right side of his body. I'm looking at his left side. So I haven't, as far as I'm concerned, it's a goal, but it doesn't feel like a goal. It feels like, uh-oh, something's happened here. Shit. And then, obviously, as I'm feeling those thoughts, obviously, they all start to go, start to make their way to the assistant, Kev, by which point, like I said earlier about my pre-match, he hasn't waved his flag in the air. He hasn't signalled because he's a long way away. He has literally got his finger held on the buzzer yeah. and my arm is literally going berserk. It's literally non-stop vibrations as per my pre-match. So I know at that point something has happened here. However, I've got a lot of things to control. Now, the first thing was to immediately stop them going over to him. So the way I stopped them, I just said to them, I'm going to go and see him in a minute. Don't go anywhere near him. Or you're gonna if any of you go anywhere near him, you're getting a yellow. So leave him alone. I'm gonna go and see him in a minute. Obviously, the next part I've got to do is go and see Nobed on the floor, who I know has got nothing wrong with him. So when I go over to Nobed on the floor and bend down to him, I say to him, Look, I know there's nothing wrong with you. And he go and he just said, How do you know? Nothing wrong with him at all. I said, I know there's nothing wrong with you, but just so you know, the physio's coming on, which means you've got to leave the field of play. So you can stay there for all I care. Simple. So obviously, as this happens, there's then obviously the majority of the yellows are still having a discussion and obviously complaining about the goal. The majority of the Weymouth players have disappeared bar the odd player um, who's hanging around. Basically, he's hanging around because he's thinking, have we got away with this or not? Mm. So that's up to that stage. Well, that... that pretty much explains everything up until that point. You yeah. spend a lot of time with the injured player whilst the physio is with him. Um, did that invite any 
kind of conversations that were a bit awkward for you in the sense that uh, obviously you've, you've not yet gone to, to talk to your assistant or anything like that. Was there any anyone kind of having a go at you? So the reason, there's two reasons I've stayed there. One is to monitor the injured player and not be too far away. Obviously, I can't disappear and leave him. Um, two, obviously, the, the, the complaints are all coming from the yellow players. Um, and I've got no issue. I'll, I'll never hide from any player or any situation. I will stand up, puff my chest out, say what I know and what the facts are and deal with it and make them see that, look, I'm in charge. You're not telling me, I'm telling you. So I've stayed there knowing that the majority of the Weymouth players are out the way. I know something has happened. So at that stage, even though they're unhappy, it's the right place to be because I have told them, look, right, let me sort your player out first. And then I'm going over to my assistant. I know he has seen something because my arm is about to fall off. So just calm down. I'm going over to see him in a minute. You don't need to keep going on at me. So once they realised that and they got the message, there was no complaint. So I was fully in control. The Weymouth player was still hanging around thinking, oh, what's going on here? Have we got away with it? Have we not? So no, there was no, there was no issue at all. Obviously, they were asking the question, um, but there was nowhere else to go. I mean, if I go into the, like, the, the Weymouth players then, you know, it's, it's, I'm just going to cause absolute hell. I need to be near to the injured player to monitor that situation. And also you know, suppress the complaints from the yellows Mm -hmm. and then obviously head over and see the assistant. There was a suggestion that the goalkeeper has thrown a ball at you. Uh, We'll we'll just allow the the clip there to catch up with that um, moment. Um, What what was, you know, you get certain types of goalkeeper. Uh, Was this one, was this one your your typical nutcase who uh, hated everyone and everything? Or was he a bit more mellow, composed? I mean, at, at this moment here, when he's when he yeah. stood and the yellow players, mm-hmm. he's basically saying, look, it's it's handball, it's handball. And I've said, look, I've just told you, once this is sorted, I'm going over to the assistant. So you don't need to keep going on at me. I'm going to the assistant. So he, he was fine. He didn't have no issues at all. But the funny thing about this as it moves on is obviously as I jog over to the assistant, if you can go to that... Penners, you you admit like you hung around too long there, didn't you? With with that injury, you would have gone I, a lot. Yeah, mate. At the end of the day, some would say, "Did you right, hang here around? We go. Did you not?" The problem is, if you leave that situation, all you're doing is you're giving the observer an opportunity to take a mark or take a point off for saying you didn't manage the situation. So it, it's a tough one, you know. On one side, you could say, "Did you hang around too long?" On the other side. You know, wh- where else was I going to go? Because my next movement was to go across the pitch to the assistant. Obviously, what I didn't realise at the time, as I've jogged across, obviously the goalkeeper has very cleverly thrown the ball in front of me, trying to make me trip over the ball. Um, I had no knowledge of that at the time. I had no knowledge of it after the game. No one mentioned it. The only time I ever knew that that even happened was when me and Martin first used the clip at a meeting a couple of years ago. And did you think, you cheeky bastard? I thought, if I'd have seen that, pal, you'd have got an elbow. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have a clue. Did not have a clue. And that that ball, when you watch it as well, 
that ball actually hit my foot and I had no idea that even happened. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's clearly you've got a natural footballer's instinct because that was a feather touch that just stayed in your path as well. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, Nathan was like, oh, I'm not too sure there was any malice in that. Or Yeah, 100%. You can see, you can see by the way... You can see by the way he looks up. You can see by the, the the force at which it's sort of thrown. There's nothing there at all. Not a thing. No, there's no there's no there's no malice in it. What what he's done and the way he's done it is he's off, he's clearly trying to he's trying to get me to trip over that ball and look stupid. That's what he's trying to do. There's no malice in it. It wasn't yeah. thrown force. So yeah, if if I'd have clocked that at the time. 100% he'd have got a yellow card shoved up his nose so the learning point there Penis, is you wouldn't normally allow that to happen would you you would have been looking at him going get the ball away or you would have done you would have managed that goalkeeper better well, there's, there's, just, there's just a different way you do it I mean obviously when that happened at the time like I said you know at this level of football I was I was non-experienced at this level of football so you know when I moved on the next couple of years yeah, there's, there's millions of things I'd have done differently. So in that scenario there, when I was coming away from the injured player to go to the assistant, I'd have almost gone over, instead of running straight, I'd have almost gone over with a crab in motion. So I could have had the keeper, if you like, in the corner of my right eye, my back almost to the goal. Everybody else would have been in view. I then could have started crabbing over to my, so I was facing up the field, so to speak. And then as I got towards the 18-yard area, I then could have quite simply just turned and then backpedaled toward my, towards my assistant. Yeah. And at every moment, I'd have had everything in view. So then I would have seen it if I didn't just run straight with my back to everybody. I just think that the thing is, I mean, look, I might be wrong here. I might be right. I don't know. But my view is, right, that you can't be hauled over the calls or any referee for that matter can be hauled over the calls. For, for, for moving in that manner. Yeah, okay, it's an ideal, it's a bit of a cherry on the cake for me if you move in that manner. But the fact is you're working with a neutral assistant who's got a view in on the pitch at all times. So that means that you you still have that. If something happens over your shoulder, you've got that. Now, if you're on your own, it's a different situation. But if you're on your own, you wouldn't be doing that in the first place. So it's, it's, a, it's a different situation. But, you know, if we're talking about any kind of movement where you might be on your own, okay? But I, what I'm saying is I, I think that it would be very harsh if you got penalised in any way for that because I think you've, you've what you've done is entirely appropriate and entirely sensible because you're working within a team. And if anything happens over your shoulder, you've got Kevin there who's going to tell you straight away. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I agree. And it wasn't something that I was picked up on or penalised for. Yeah. But when I moved through the system, ultimately what you want to do some refs want the cake and I always wanted to be the best I could be. So yeah. I wanted cake. I wanted the icing. I wanted cherry. I wanted the sugar sprinkles. I wanted a lot. So moving forwards from there and looking back now, and when I was, you know, at two a level, mm. 100%, I would not have moved in that way. I'd have moved in a different way. And even though if, if you did it the way I did it, yes, you wouldn't have been picked up for it. But yeah. if you did it the way I would have then done it a couple of years later, mm. what you might have got is, the observer, if he switched on, would have noticed it and said, you know what, I really like the way that you turned your body and you twisted and yeah. you still have everything in view. Mm. So ultimately, there's it can always it can always be improved, it can always be better. Yeah. At this age, obviously, yeah, I didn't have a clue about things like that. You know, I just pretty much come through the system quickly, 
and I did what felt natural. But mm. like I said, moving on, there's yeah. so many things that, and a lot of it is small things, but when you add them all up together, mm. they all equals big things. It's an unbelievable attention to detail, that. But you know what? Yeah. It's, it's you know, I was probably the most, I mean, in terms of self-critical, yeah, I mean, sometimes even if I had a good game, I'd batter myself because I'd make silly things or silly mistakes yeah. in my own head, which maybe someone else didn't notice, but I knew myself mm. still been better. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny because we we always talk about that. It's always the little things individually. You never seen that big. Someone would say, "Oh, what, what does Scouse have for you today?" Oh, we said I never turned his back on a ball. Oh, we never used enough hand gestures. Oh, and it, it, you look, oh, that's a bit picky. But when individually they don't seem that big, but collectively, mm -hmm. massive. And we always talk about creating your toolbox as you go through your career. And this is a good example of what we're on about, is that the Goldilocks zone, Penn has just said he wouldn't have got picked up on it. There's a, there's a, there's another way of doing it, which is acceptable. But this is the Goldilocks zone. What Penn is talking about now is putting those cherries on the cake, going finding those, bringing them out of your toolbox as you go through, say, ah, I remember, don't lose the ball. Don't lose the players. Have all those cherries in there. They're all in those Goldilocks zone that we always, always, always try to try to find. And, and Penn has got that really early on in his career. Some referees I've coached and dealt with don't get that for a long time. Some of them don't see the importance of the little things. You think the little things are little things, but they're not. Collectively, they're huge. Everyone knows if you look at all the top fishers in the world, they all know what a free kick is like you do. They all know what offside is when you're on the line. It's all those little things that make them that 1%, 2%, 3% better than you. I think that, yeah, I, I'm just going to say, Martin, I think that this is where, where, where you're talking here, I think, is, is a great point. Because I think that, you know, now more than ever, things can be very, very tight in the, in the bandons, you know. And I think that if you on, well, yeah, okay, so maybe if you get assessed five or six times over the course of a season and, and three or four of those times, uh, the observer's saying, I liked that extra thing you did, well, if it's tight and they're thinking, who do we, who do we come up and the panel meets, you know, and, and think about who, who might go up the, the referees committee, you know, it might be you because of those little extras. And I think that that's a, a really important thing to, to take on board. You know, that if it's tight at the top of the band and, you know, you doing those little things on top might make the difference. It is at a level that we like to talk about. This is obviously a level in team of three, but we've always talked right through this about what would you do when you haven't got, you know, neutral liners, you've got club liners, obviously you wouldn't be having this scenario. That's going to be probably an easier way to get cherries because you haven't got to go over there to the goalkeepers. We probably wouldn't have gone to the liner. We probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near that, but he would have managed it differently. And all these little things we're talking about, you can use that at any level of football, all about your body language, your hand gestures, all the other stuff we talk about, raising your awareness by looking like you're not going to miss anything rather than thinking you didn't miss anything, but if something did happen, you wouldn't have been able to see it. Mm. That's the difference of it. That is the yeah. difference of it. So it's those little cherries that, that, that what you always look for. Listen, that concludes the first part of this analysis with having Penners here. And in the next episode, tomorrow, we're going to go away from what happens here what Penners was going through his mind at managing the substitutes, the caution and technique, and the journey between Kev on the line and doing that caution and technique. So tomorrow, Adam will be back again to go through everything that, the rest of the clip. And then we'll talk about the brilliant support he got from the, from the PGMOL. So see you tomorrow, guys. That was episode four of Goldie Lockdown. In it, Martin. <laughs>
Say it, Martin. (laughs) One day. Having trouble tracking who can play and who can't? Download Down to Play before your next match. The first app to purely focus on player availability. Get Down to Play for free in the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.